Hello and welcome back. Well, welcome back, guys. You are joining us for another episode of Callum and David's Any Requests podcast, which is, of course, our podcast series where we answer your Patreon requests. That is a £5 a month subscription, and you get to request us to do a podcast on literally anything you want. Uh, they said that we'd stay pure, but now we're just a slave for money. <laughs> uh, Rolling in the big bucks, five pounds per podcast, and you have been very, um, you've been very, you know, definite in in taking our our offer very literally. Mm. We we said we'd do a podcast on any subject whatsoever, yeah, and we've had quite the range. It's been very eclectic, hasn't it? Yeah, um, very. yeah. And today you are joining us uh, as we talk about a request from Adam, who uh, wanted us to look at the nineteen eighty five martial arts motown musical yeah you heard that right <laughs> film the last dragon it is quite amazing i mean we were both looking forward to it i think we yeah. said on our last episode uh, last week what what isn't there to like it's 1980s kung fu at its kind of best yeah um i don't know if i'd stand by that now having <laughs> seen it is it 80s kung fu at its best but I'm not going to say it isn't because I don't I don't know yet. I'm still processing it, guys. I I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, uh, I mean, it, not in like the way that you love the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, it it is absolutely crazy. And um, yeah, I mean, I as you've uh, very kindly referred to me as before, and I like to think of myself as a bit of a cinephile. I'm yeah, embarrassed. Yeah that uh, I didn't know this film existed before. It, it's I'd odd. It passed it, me by. It does have all the um, hallmarks of a cult movie, yeah. but I've never know, heard about it before. No. Never. No. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's an interesting beast. It was, uh, as we said, a kind of this hybrid of very much uh, what you would call a Bruceploitation film, uh, which yeah. is a subgenre of the exploitation genre that kind of came up in the 70s and 80s. Um, and essentially, the Bruce Ploitation films were actually largely um, still made in, in Hong Kong um, with uh, Asian or American Asian actors. And they kind of cropped up because of when Enter the Dragon came out in, I think, 73, mm. um, the the uh, iconic Bruce Lee martial arts film. Um, it was such a huge hit that when Bruce Lee died, uh, these Hong Kong uh, movie studios just started hiring actors that looked quite a lot like Bruce Lee and making them change their names like Bruce Lun or Bruce Lee and to star in these films that were basically just cheap knockoffs of <laughs> Enter the Dragon. Um, and, it, and they made so many, it became this genre called Bruceploitation. And uh, and this film is, is very much uh, that, whilst also being this sort of uh, absolute love letter to Motown, probably because it was produced by Barry Gordon. Um, yeah, um, Barry Gordy, um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, you should know. He yeah. is an absolute um, behemoth, I think I described him, um, of of music in um, general. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say, I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. If you were going to choose kind of five people yeah. of 20th century music, I mean, music today would probably look vastly different. You can see the influences of Motown. I mean, mm. this this is the guy that created Motown, you know. And it's, um, I, I think also people talk about Quincy Jones all the time. Mm. But Barry Gordy's more influential, I would argue, yeah. than Quincy Jones. Yeah, I, um, I would say This so. is the guy who, who who also wrote amazing songs uh, for the Jackson 5, I, I Want You Back, ABC. Yeah. 
um, yeah. all written by him. Yeah, I mean, Diana Ross and the Supreme, Stevie Wonder, yeah. Marvin Gaye, Gladys Knight, uh, uh, the list goes on and on. Um, but yeah, it started out as Tamla Records in 1959, um, and then it became Motown, I think, in 62, uh, a portmanteau of Motortown, uh, because it was in Detroit, and Detroit was obviously very you, big. You had an interesting cars. fact about this as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, when I was doing some research for this film, um, I, I had always assumed that Motown was called Motown because uh, Detroit's nickname was Motor City or, or Motor Town. Or yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah. Um, but it's actually the other way around. Although Detroit was famous for cars, it never adopted uh, the name Motor Town until Motown. And it's actually an homage to how influential Motown and Motown Records were wow. on the city of Detroit. I mean, that's how big an institution they were. Um, Incredible. But when you get into, I mean, you know, their their golden age was really the early 70s the days of disco you yeah know? and we're now in 1985 with this film and they were hitting a slump they kind of came back they had a second wave in the 90s where you had like boys to men yeah and people like that were, were, were signing with them but in the 80s it all went a bit bad they were hemorrhaging money um and i think part of it was because barry gordy decided he wanted to be a film producer for some reason yeah I think. He, he produced a lot of tv shows as yeah. well um and yeah four films yeah um and although i will say this film was uh, a success commercially critically panned right but um <laughs> i believe the budget was 10 million and they made 33 million at the box office very so, good return yeah you know three 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 times as much as it cost to make um uh, and actually i've got a little fact about the making of it um uh in terms of the budget um they wanted the director michael schultz and the screenwriter louis venosta to mm. cut two million out of the budget um so they were sitting up all night in a hotel room rewriting the script and uh louis venosta the writer <laughs> fell asleep so whilst he was asleep michael schultz the director deleted 40 pages of the script to try and save money <laughs> But then when he woke up, Venosta went, what are you doing? And they had to spend the whole day putting his scenes back in because he wouldn't let them write them. <laughs> I mean, if there was... Brilliant. It, it's such a Hollywood story, isn't yeah. it? Um, very, very typical of that cloak and dagger. I mean, I'm not... Who knows? Would the 40 pages have been missed? Um, you're about to find out as we um, enter the world, pardon the pun, of The Last Dragon. Absolutely. So I just wanted to kick us off first with reading the tagline. Which is... It's, it's snappy, guys. <laughs> you're gonna be if you're an investor so this was on the poster um he's a martial arts master who refuses to fight he's a bruce lee fan who's so sure he's oriental that he eats popcorn with chopsticks his friends think he's too serious his family think he's crazy his enemies think he's no challenge but he knows he's the last dragon how big was the poster yeah, right? i mean it's <laughs> a lot of text um I mean, it's not. It is a fair description, yeah, um, of the film, um, and it doesn't really tell you. You don't need to see the film having read no. that, um, right. you know, to, in terms of finding out any more information. I think, I think the storyline that's that's as that's as that's as detailed as it gets. Yeah, um, yeah. and um, we we kind of open out uh, on this lots of quite typical, very eighties feel, loads of slow mo montage, montage, yeah um the the likes you would see in in lots of films um around this time and 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 to, to be honest anything anything produced by tristar yeah um which is interesting in terms of that link you were talking about the the bruce Boytation films because they're essentially sony yeah um so you know it's, it's always american and 
uh, Hong Kong like yeah. fusion of, of production. And you can really see that. In fact, actually, you could see that um, in the Mark Wahlberg film we were talking about two weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. Yeah. Exactly the same kind of triumvirate, um, except without Barry Gordy's influence. Yeah. Would it have been better with Barry Gordy behind it? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think so. I, I'd agree. Um, yeah, so open with this kind of slow-mo. It's very cheesy. Um, and we're, we're introduced to some of the kind of the main characters. Um, the first of which is this young man, fresh-faced, beautiful boy, um, ripped, muscly, doing loads of kung fu with his master in what's like a little like hut on a near a boat or something. Is it like a boathouse uh, hut thing? Sorry, beautiful boy. He's a beautiful, beautiful young man. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's. It's in, right. Yeah. It's. Uh. <laughs> it's. Is it a boathouse? I don't really know. Um. I can't remember now. It felt. It had the feel of a boathouse. Yeah. It um, feels. <laughs> it, I mean, it's only an hour and fifty long. Oh, and is it, it? It feels like that scene happened days ago. Oh. Like it was so, so much happens I... in this film, and I'm still not entirely sure what happened in the film but I mean, a lot happens you love this film i enjoyed it but i feel physically older for watching it so like, yeah so it took I a mean, lot of energy out of me i mean i i i think i mean we we both know that i probably have a lot more love for the 80s than you do yeah. in a lot of respect um and i don't know whether that's one of those things that it because there's that kind of two and a half year age gap between mm-hmm. us i having been born in the 80s although i don't really remember it because i would have been two and a half when we got into 1990 um there's i have a i have an like a a soft spot i guess for that decade and also having a sister and brother who very much grew up in the 80s i had a lot of influence i think growing up of 1980s stuff so i i i I do think actually i would say it, it is my favorite decade overall of of stuff culturally musically film wise um so I, I very loving. much talk about 60s you know pop culture 70s pop culture i kind of miss out the 80s entirely yeah. and then go great to about straight to about 96 really. <laughs> um, and then i stop about 97 and that's yeah, it, and that's <laughs> it yeah. no other frame of reference yeah um so yeah so i i i i love all this stuff all the ridiculous excess and the terrible fashion and the lovely synth music i I love all of it there is something hopeful though about 80s and i think it's worth worth kind of spending time on because this film is full of kind of all those things excess bad hair Mm. synthy music everything's overproduced to hell but there's this hopeful joy and kind of naivety that i think you do get in a lot of 80s stuff as a as a decade in general yeah and 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 also something i think that is genuinely important to talk about with this film and I think one of the reasons why it's become such a cult hit and and especially within the african-american community is um i one sort of review i was reading was saying it was basically the first film that showed uh a a mixed race superhero for want of a better mm. word um and and that that was a really really important thing culturally and we both commented when we were watching it how great it is that it's a really diverse cast really like yeah for 1985 and there's no like it just it's like it's normal yeah um you know which back in the 80s there would have been a a a lot of tension if films were going to show groups of kids where some of them were white some of them were asian some of them were black they would have commented on that and it's really nice that generally there is definitely some racial commenting in the film but generally uh it's not actually commented upon within those groups like at the dojo that he is at with all these other kids yeah 
um which is a bizarre thing because he seems to be friends with like eight-year-olds and like 30 year olds and they're all we're going to talk about age <laughs> yeah. difference um one. yeah but um uh you know that yeah the, the, there seems to be a, a real push for um yeah this kind of multiculturalism in the film which is f- really nice to see and, and um, you're right it feels day, so in, in that day and age uh, yeah yeah it is and it, you're, you're right about it feeling really normal and relaxed it's 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 not kind of diversity for any other reason other than the fact that actually it looked like 1980s Harlem. Yeah. It looked like New York. Yeah, melting um, pot. Yeah, complete yeah. melting pot. And I think actually the film does, uh, probably unintentionally, get a little bit of commentary in there about yeah. that. Um, yeah, which we'll, which we'll have to look through. So we've got this young man, um, African-American, who is clearly very, very good at Kung Fu mm-hmm. and has a, kind of an old Chinese uh, master who's um, making him do different tasks. And eventually he does this amazing task at the end of the montage, and we're suddenly into the film, Mm -hmm. where he um, turns around and karate chops an arrow in half. And that's real, by the way. He really did it? Yeah, he really did it. Um, Yeah, I think they said it took something like 30 hours to shoot or something like that. Wow. Um, But yeah, yeah, he he refused to to do any trick photography or anything like that he wanted to do it for real wow um, well, you, you said that he um this is um tamak tamak yeah he so, trained in in uh, jeet kundu yes yeah so tamak is the lead uh in the film he had absolutely no acting experience at all he actually learned with an acting coach on set as it was being filmed he had right. his first day of the shoot he'd never acted in his life before he, he was a professional martial artist um, i see yeah um which is an interesting choice given the fact that some of the people to audition for that role were Denzel Washington, Wesley Stipes, Lawrence Fishburne, Billy D. Williams, uh, um, Marlon Van Peebles, like all wow. these huge black actors of that era um, uh, and actors that would become famous. I think famous. Denzel Washington's career would have been so different. So <laughs> right? different, yeah. Um, but uh, amazing when you read the list of people that, that auditioned for this role. It's crazy. Um, and... and What's also interesting as well is that uh, uh, the lead female, Laura, Lauren, mm. Laura? Laura, Laura, Laura Charles. Yes, Laura Charles uh, is played by Vanity, who mm-hmm. also had no acting experience before the film. Uh, right. She was a singer. She was a part of a, a, a girl group trio called Vanity Six, who were uh, put together and managed and produced by Prince. Which is something he did quite a bit of. Yeah, yeah, loads in the 80s. Um, I mean, you know, because... Uh, Sheenery, who was his drummer, yeah. obviously, uh, also had her own band that he put together. Right. Um, his, uh, you know, um, uh, um, the Revolution. Yeah. Uh, Prince's band were, were largely female. I mean, the yeah. ro- rotating members, but um, predominantly female uh, musicians. So he, he, Prince, Prince is probably, by the way, guys, my favorite recording recording artist of all time. Uh, uh and w- one of the many things I love about him was he was really pushing. Uh female uh recording artists and musicians which you can yeah. actually see a lot of female bands where the women actually played instruments um in the in the 80s and he was really pushing that but she left uh the group uh she was meant to be in purple range she meant to be prince's love interest in the, mm. the film of purple rain um that was shooting at the same time and she left just before she was due to start work on that and barry gordy snapped her up and for f- uh, a four picture deal i believe which I am assuming would have been all all the pictures because yeah, Barry Gordy only made, made four, four right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And she, and I have to say, for someone who had no acting experience, Laura Laura uh, Vanity, yeah. uh, does extremely well. I think she comes out the strongest of the whole movie, bar maybe one other actor. Yeah, we'll talk about. We will talk about in a later. little bit. 
Um, yeah, fantastic. So he has uh, done that arrow uh, shooting uh, sequence. And 30 hours later, what feels like it, um, he turns to his master and says, oh, you know, what now? And he says, oh, you've completed the last level. Yeah. Um, and it's like a video game kind of, that's it, yeah. you've beaten the boss kind of thing. Um, and he says, what do you mean? He said, oh, well, you, that's it. You've, you've, you've got all the, the seven levels and takes a belt buckle and, and puts it, a, a picture of a dragon, puts it in a kind of thing. Um, and he says, oh, what, what do I do now? And he says, ah, well, there's one thing left to do. And he said, what's that? And he says, you've got to go and find the wisest man in New York. Sorry, sorry. You've got to go find the wisest man in the world. It is in the world, yeah. Oh, the universe, I think it says. Yeah. But he lives here in New York. <laughs> Which already, I'm like, well, it's easy, you're asking it? us to buy in. Yeah. To a pretty interesting premise there. Um, so essentially, we've got, you know, him off on, you know, uh, his, uh, and his, his name is, is Leroy uh green bruce uh leroy is his nickname um yeah because of what he does um so we think that that's what he's off to do yeah but he kind of just meanders into a cinema yeah watching um, watching a bruce lee film yeah he's he's dressed as a chinese rice farmer yeah uh as he is for quite a lot of the film yeah so much um, yeah, it's very specific. Wearing a sun outfit. hat. Yeah. Like uh, like like he was out working in the paddy fields. Yeah. Um and yeah, he's sitting in the front row of the cinema and everyone's watching the film to varying degrees of concentration and but it's kind of very, you know, everyone loves it. Um and they're making lots of noise and in walks our kind of antagonist or first antagonist of the yeah. movie, um Shonuff. Shonuff. Shonuff is his name. Um and he is the self-professed shogun of Harlem. Yeah. Um, and he walks in and, and gets everyone in his gang to kind of, you know, soup him up and tell him how great he is. And then a couple of people, you know, say, hey, sure enough, you're a bully. And so he beats everyone up. But everyone else in the whole cinema, regardless of colour, creed, background, yeah. whatever, they all fight with Kung Fu to yeah. varying degrees of ability. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like... Ha Harlem's race wars like whilst Jay-Z and Dr. Dre were battling it out in yeah. the early days of rap music actually if they just embraced Kung Fu then we wouldn't have had any Bloods or Crips it would have been fine yeah. like that is the kind of messages it's kind of unifying yeah. if very violent yeah yeah. so he he, he bursts into the cinema and he says something along the lines of uh, you know I'm uh, I'm the best no one could beat me something like that and then this little kid says no there's this guy down at the front <laughs> he says uh, Bruce Leroy <laughs> he says that's the only guy who stands between Shonuff and total supremacy. Yeah, yeah, that's one of Shonuff's henchmen just giving us just what a complete exposition, yeah. like not even trying to hide it. Like no. absolutely unrealistic line to say. No, it's a stage direction. It's, it's clearly direction. written in italics. Yeah. Yeah. The actors just learnt it and said it into the camera. She says it directly to camera. It's really weird. Um, so anyway, he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, come on, Bruce Leroy, I'm going to beat you up. And, and he doesn't. Um, and for the first of many times, he... He refuses to fight Shonuff because I think he yeah. thinks it's beneath him. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think that's the way of Kung Fu. Well, yeah, well, uh, Bruce Lee, um, uh, Jeet Kune Do translates to the art of fighting without fighting. Yeah, which we know a little bit about. Yeah. And Adam knows a lot about. Yeah. Because <laughs> for those of you who are interested, Adam, David and I all worked on a show in China um, based around um, the birthplace of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And so we actually wrote a song called The Art of Fighting Without Fighting. Yeah. 
um, which we probably won't put on the link. No. <laughs> no. But uh, suffice to say, we, we know a lot about Jeet Kune Do and the philosophy behind it. A bit too much. Yeah. Um, so then we cut away from the cinema, thinking that kind of, you know, maybe he's we're going to follow this guy on his search for the wisest man in the universe who also lives in New York. But no, we cut to a studio of a show called Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Now, what is Seventh Heaven, David? Right. Um, so I... <laughs> So I don't know, and I still don't really know. It's a nightclub. It's a big part of the film. It's a nightclub that is also a television series yeah. that seems to be for kids, yeah. but also for adults. Yeah. I, I don't... Uh, yeah, I, it, it's... You you, you <laughs> at one point referred to it quite a lot in the film as it's CD UK yeah. in the 80s. Do you remember CD UK where Cat Dealey... Was it Cat yeah, Dealey? Cat Dealey. And, yeah, it and came and on Deck. straight after SMTV Live. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they were all up on what seemed like the same set as SMTV Live, but silver. Yeah. It was exactly the same, <laughs> but everything was chrome. I'm like, wasn't it more expensive? Like, what? Could you save money on the design, but not the material? I don't know what the logic was. But you'd have kind of acts, pop acts would come on, or they show videos of pop acts, and then yeah. there'd be bits of entertainment. Well, that seems to be what this show is. And yeah. also, there were platforms in it. Yeah, and they're you know high rises, but it looks like a kind of nineteen eighties dance hall, not dissimilar um, as to what you what you'd get and in uh, something like Pose, for example. Yeah, um, and the kind of drag queen king, except this is mainstream. It's a lot of money and budget, and it's hosted by uh, Laura Charles, played by Vanity, who is this kind of young, beautiful, popular celebrity who yeah. shows chooses what music like a DJ would. But also, it's like she's a video, like a VJ, like she yeah. puts the videos on, and then for some reason, she gets. And I had no idea it was being filmed, and then they they take her off yeah. backstage. Yeah. At, so at so, which point something amazing happens. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I uh, that happened, and then I have no idea what happened in the next scene <laughs> because I could not get over the actor that appears because, ladies and gentlemen. Enter William H. Macy. So William H. Macy. Why is he? What? He, I'm still I'm still in shock about it. It's so weird. William H. Macy turns up. I don't know. He just <laughs> popped over from like at that time. In the he would have been like working with Mamet and Steppenwolf. And yeah. So I th- I founding. Think, I think this was like only his like second maybe third film role. Um, really. So weird. pretty unknown. So yeah, pretty much still very much stage acting. Um. Yeah. Very much doing doing uh stuff with David Mamet. And, um, and and John Malkovich yeah. and um, you know serious acting stuff and he turns up as I think some kind of TV related assistant managery person someone who's got some responsibility but I'm not really sure what no. because he's just trying to get Laura Charles to agree to do something and she says no and I think it's to do with getting her to watch the music video of the wife or girlfriend of a gangster who we're going to meet later on yeah um so william h macy's there i mean for, a, yeah, for about two minutes dave goes into shock for I'm, about 20 minutes yeah i'm really impressed that you managed to get that much because yeah. i was just like the scene like my eyes were looking at things happening on the screen but my brain was just going why is william h macy here why is william h macy here why is william h macy here bit. <laughs> so thanks for that so yeah um then laura charles has finished the show yeah 
from from I don't know what she does in the show, but, but she's it, very yeah, famous. It very famous. Explain what it is, and it doesn't explain why there are kids there because like she's... seven and eight year olds, six year olds, twenty five year olds. She signs off this show by plugging this competition about going on a night out on the town with her. Yeah, she says but there's it's... a dance competition um the next week or whatever. So if you come along, you've got nothing to lose, and the prize is a special night out on the town with me. I'm like, well, you're not going to give that to an eight-year-old. And that's clearly your demographic because that's who's in the audience. But over the course of the film, I don't think that is the demographic. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just, it's a very odd thing. But I do think this <laughs> happened in real life. I mean, not this specific scenario. Okay, I don't, I don't know what you've been smoking. You think that's happened in real life. No. None of that's ever happened. The or I- will happen. <laughs> the idea... <laughs> the idea... <laughs> of a um television program that is also a live working nightclub because pete waterman right did a thing with oh who was it it was either like annika rice or rika johnson oh yeah someone like that and it was called the hitman and her right um because he was known as the hitman's of stock agent waterman um and it was them going around various nightclubs and like they were live there at nightclubs, but it was about them also promoting music, and you'd have like musical acts playing. Like so, it was a little bit like Top of the Pops, but it was in actual nightclubs, and it would act as a nightclub as well, and people would be there for their night out, but it would also be broadcast and televised. And it reminded me a little bit of of that. Michaela well, Strachan, I think it was Michaela Strachan. Ooh, before the Really Wild show. Yeah, when she was ironically much wilder. Guys, really. tweeters. Let me know. It would make sense, though, because Michaela Strachan went on to find fame as a children's TV presenter. And so doing all that work <laughs> in the nightclubs, you know, where all the kids are, that's, that's where you... That's where you it's should, so probably good. how why, she found her expertise. Why are there so many kids there? Anyway, so that's she comes, where... She, yeah, she comes out of the nightclub. No, but wait, because <laughs> most importantly in this nightclub, we meet the best actor... In the whole film. Oh, yeah. Who is the brother. Well, we later learn that it's a weird way of introducing a character that it's important that we know that he's the brother. Yeah. But they decide not to tell us that. So, so they introduce him as if he's a random person that we don't need to know if we care about him yeah. or not. And then like three scenes later, he's having breakfast with uh, Bruce Leroy. Yeah. So you're going, oh, he's his younger brother. But at this point, they just introduce him as being one of these many children is he, in this Is he his younger brother? Well, no, no, no. He's his older <laughs> uncle in terms of everything he's playing. Yeah, he's he's playing a thirty-year-old on on like. Oh. Honestly, I have never seen a child actor act so be able to act like an adult. It's so remarkable. Much. It's incredible. It's like it's he, incredible. Why, why wasn't he in Bugsy Malone? Yeah, it was. It was a bit like Bugsy. I Malone, kept actually. thinking about Bugsy Malone in this yeah. film. I'm glad you said that because you have I like several children characters who playing adults. Yeah, and the adults adult never like acknowledge that, that there are children. <laughs> Like they just like the fact that they're five foot, four foot, three yeah. foot doesn't matter. They still fight with them, do business with it, them, sell it, drugs and guns to them. It's weirder than Bugsy Malone though, because imagine Bugsy Malone, but if some of them were also adults, playing <laughs> yeah, adults, yeah, and not acknowledging that some of them were kids, yeah, that's what's weird about it. Yeah, because there's no convention. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. I I could go, oh, it's a choice. Yeah, if they were all kids. But they're not. <laughs> they're not. It's so weird that there are so many genuine, like, ten-year-olds in this film. So we're about ten minutes into the film. Yeah. 
she comes out of the nightclub. She signs all the autographs for the men and women and children and child man children. Yeah. And then she's in her limo, stretch limo. Yeah. And her driver stops and she says, "What are you doing?" And he says, rather codedly, "Um, I'm doing the right thing. And if you've got a brain, then you'll do the right thing too." Yeah. And she's like, "What do you mean?" And suddenly, these Italian gangsters who we've never met before. No, but just to say, you have skimmed over the first meeting of the three people in the room with the fish tank yeah there's nothing plot there that yeah you're right <laughs> i know you don't want to talk about it because right. it, it does i don't know what purpose so there, are, there are these three guys <laughs> an italian kind of a gangster who yeah. is kind of modeling himself on jack nicholson's the joker which i think is before that happened i think yeah. actually maybe jack nicholson took it from him yeah uh really weird um and he's got a friend called rock rock yeah played by mike Starr, who is like in every mafia bona fide actor yeah um he's, he's he plays uh i think it's frenchy in uh goodfellas um right. and and yeah loads of other things i think he was like a series regular in frasier as well as what i was thinking of when i kept seeing him yeah he's got he's got very sitcom i recognize his face yeah so he plays a boxer who this italian gangster used to manage and he lost a fight and then he ignored him and then he goes into his fridge and says to to seemingly no one, oh, are you still hungry? I've yep. got some lovely dessert for you. Goes into the he, fridge of meat. Yeah. Pulls out. Well, there's weird things in there because there's like, there's a whole dead piglet. Yeah. That's hanging suckling up, pigs. Which is, why are they there? It's, oh, it's well, so weird. Presumably, presumably, well, presumably, that entire fridge is dedicated to feed the fish. <laughs> if you'd seen it, you wouldn't think I was mental, all right? <laughs> Because he pulls out this large cream thing of meat and puts it in a fish tank. Yeah. And then it's... But the fish tank's like bubbling and like... Or like, like, it's like, like piranhas. Yeah. But you never you never find out what's no. in this fish tank, And right? it's also not important to the story. That not there's... at all. No. Nothing remotely. But he's got some magic river fish in quite a small fish tank. Yeah. So I don't know what's... I mean, what's meant to be in there? Yeah, I don't know. Is it, or is it meant to be a crocodile? Like an alligator? Or... Yeah, it's, it's, it's not clear. So thanks for making me go back to that. Well, um, no, in, in, in fairness... I think it's important because because that scene existed, I made the leap that you were very impressed for some reason that yeah. I made that the Italian mobsters coming out of the car to try and kidnap her worked for him. Because yeah. when we find right. out they did, you went, how did you know that? And I was like, well, I... It would be weird if there was two separate mafias. No, it wouldn't actually in this film, though, would it? I mean, no, I don't, no, I'm still, no. I'm still questioning whether they, they two, they two are related because <laughs> there's no reference back to oh, we tried to kidnap her once, and then and then the guy came in and saved us. They don't reference it. It's never acknowledged. Yeah, and they're completely different characters. We never meet again, despite the fact that we meet his henchmen several times over. I mean, his his recruiting process. Those guys aren't involved, so they try and kidnap her for some reasons. Perhaps maybe to get her to listen to the music video or to be involved in that or maybe it's completely unrelated matter but along comes our lovely Leroy who saves her by killing everyone yeah and then there's a conversation outside where she's like oh thanks for saving me and he's like oh I'm socially awkward yeah and the entire thing is dubbed yeah (laughs) yeah for no reason yeah like I think you just said it's some weird ADR. It's yeah, it, it's because you can hear they're in a recording studio. They've yeah. made, they've not tried to make it sound like they're outside in the slightest. But it is it is a genuine outside outside shot. Yeah, 
and none of the internal kind of scenes are dubbed so i think it is it's just bad idea um but that happens a lot and it's a really cheap weird bad bad it's just bad it's really weird <laughs> i think it's quite charming what what do you mean it's charming it's just, it's just oh, it's no. bad as what uh, it is giving it a go like, you just love the 80s i do um yeah so that happens and then um we come back to uh show enough i believe yes. um who says he goes to to leroy's um dad's pizza place oh no no we go we go to breakfast at yeah, leroy's oh, yes yeah. well we're we introduced to, to the family first, yeah, yeah well we're introduced to the uh all of Leroy's family. He's up doing a bit of uh, what looked like Tai Chi, I think, up on the mm. up on the roof. Uh, of this Meditative kind of, stuff. Yeah, sort of tenement block in Harlem. Um, and yeah, he comes in through the window of the kitchen uh, mm-hmm. to have breakfast. Um, there's a weird plot line, if you want to call it that, where where his younger sister, who's like a toddler, is called three different names by different members of her family. Um, which is a weird thing. One of them calls her Sophia. One of them calls her, I think, Natasha. One of them calls her Little Baby Green Eyes or something. Right. Um, and that. yeah, and and the the younger brother, who's secretly playing the older brother, yeah. says, "Oh, you're going to confuse little sister, calling her all these different names." And then that's never picked up again. I was like, I don't know why that's why is that in there? What's Glad that about? That. Uh, he has a really long phone call as well, as if he's um like been called from his office. He's yeah. about eight years old, this yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, well, I'll try and sort it out. I'm trying to have my breakfast, man. Yeah. Like, leave me alone. Why are you calling me at home? Yeah. Like, why is yeah. that? <laughs> it goes on for about five minutes. And then yeah. he does a lot of interesting, weird of acting with his hands yeah. against the wall. It's really, like, a method. It's really it's so good. It's really he's good. such a good actor. But I don't know what any of that was about. No. Um, but but we learn that um, Leroy's dad against all odds has built a pizza place he's the first um black guy in new york apparently to open it and they, he said oh they all laughed at me when you know a, a black man opening a pizza restaurant but look at me now uh, the whole of uh, harlem's hungry for daddy for daddy green's pizza yeah uh, and i was quite distracted at this point because i decided that his daddy green um was the nerdy bobslayer from cool runnings <laughs> but the maths doesn't work out and I've looked at my MBD. It's not, his career's not gone that way, should I say? <laughs> but it, he looks a lot like the repressed guy yeah. who ends up standing in the mirror and yeah, 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 yeah. calling himself a badass yeah. mother who yeah. doesn't take no sh- from nobody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that for a bit. Went. To, I just started yeah. thinking about that for a few, um, mo- few and, moments. And then I think there is another scene in the fish tank room, but I don't care. Right. So good. we can do. I. Yeah. I, the the next thing of consequence that happens is probably yeah show enough going into uh daddy green's pizza yeah. and um yeah tr- on 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 the lookout because he wants to have this fight to prove who's the best martial artist in yeah. harlem um or the world or whatever yeah. um and uh so he like intimid to intimidate them he destroys the pizza place but i don't know if you noticed this it really made me laugh it's you can see that what he's doing is destroying it in a very clean way so that it won't take too long to reset if they need to do more takes. Yeah, like yeah. everything breaks clean in half. Yeah, 
and it's obviously pre-broken stuff that just slots back together yeah and it really made me laugh so i was like yeah you've done this so you could just go okay go again we've not got time what me made, reset what what made me laugh about this film there's a great line where he said uh i i, I want to find your son your chicken-hearted son great line don't know what that means no but you know love it fine and then he broke the table as you clean yeah, into ready for a reset he broke a bit of trellis clean into and daddy Bring green up. just went oh no not my, that's my table like <laughs> just like that like just the weirdest <laughs> oh no it's my, it's my table yes it's really odd <laughs> yeah um so then, uh, I believe. I oh, and also, just for the record, you're not aware that Show Enough has like two, you know, um, quarterbacks in um, in in American football. Yeah, like they have the padding on and all of that. Yeah, you know, they all have the the big pad shoulder pads. We don't have them in rugby, you know, because we're not wimps. Yeah. Um, but they he Show Enough's wearing like a weird kind of outfit, like a kung fu outfit, uh, uniform thing. Yeah. Um. And on top of it, on the outside of it, has uncovered shoulder pads yeah. from, like, American football. But they're kind of broken up to make they look a bit weird. Yeah. It's kind of the type of outfit that you that you might make with your child out of stuff that you've got around the house during lockdown. That, like, it's an invented costume made out of extraneous pieces of equipment, sports equipment. It's really weird. Um, so after that yeah um in in actually in uh 1997 um buster rhymes uh released a music video for his uh single dangerous and he dressed exactly like show enough in that and he actually uh rewrote sh- kind of uh show enough's opening little speech he does when he goes into the cinema at the beginning of the film oh brilliant yeah. oh because he says you know who's Who's the toughest? Who's, who's the baddest? Yeah. Who's the prettiest? Yeah, so at the start of Dangerous, Buster Rhymes does that, and he's, nice. he's dressed as shown up in the music video for it. Um, it's very influential. Yeah, very a, a, a huge pop culture kind of cult thing. Yeah, um, There's a lovely uh, uh, Grey reference that I want to come back to mm. um, later on that you, you discovered. <clears throat> um, so they have this they have this kind of raid which i think is quite awful yeah. going into it felt very mafia it felt very gang crime new york actually i mean it, not in the way it was shot but the action of going to <laughs> someone's dad's house who has kind of culturally appropriated something yeah, but, but and it, and destroying it but but it get but not like not not only because logistically it had to not be that bad so they could reshoot and reset really quickly yeah um but also like it just felt so <laughs> like i see what you're saying but at the same time it felt really tame like the worst thing they did physically to anyone was they put the younger brother upside down in a bin yeah. and i was like this is this is sesame street fight yeah like, what's it is, happening yeah it's but again it makes you think the film is a aimed at kind of eight-year-olds yeah but it can't be yeah because the language gets progressively worse and the violence get gets progressively kind of worse in places and the references to kind of having a night with a celebrity and being in a club and there's a it can't be it's obviously rated yeah but it feels like the kind of thing do you remember on like live and kicking where they they'd show like 15 minutes of like some weird american live action series like every saturday yeah. and it would be like a serialized thing that's what it feels like to me is like i'd be watching it like eight years old bowl of like cocoa pops watching mm-hmm. this for like 15 minutes and going oh this is a fun little 
martial like Power Rangers. Yeah, Power Rangers. Yes, basically. Power Rangers. Yeah. Um, oh, I really love lightning clicking. Yeah, it's really good. So I don't know what happens now because the next note I have. Oh, um, oh no! I tell you exactly what we need to talk about next, uh, and you are itching to talk about them. There are three men. That, right. That. Oh no. <laughs> that Leroy goes to see. Yeah. Oh, because we get back to the story. Yeah. So this is interesting, right? So, so the reason why I was so surprised by that—I mean, there are lots of reasons—but the first one was okay. So we've got a real vengeance story, right? Leroy, the pacifist but also martial arts champion. Yeah is going to be goaded into fighting Shonuff because he's disrespected his family. All right? And I'm going, okay, he's now got his yeah. mission to follow. But no, that's not what happens. We now cut back to the original plot line, which was Leroy trying to find the wisest man in the universe. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he's walking around Harlem fairly aimlessly, comes across what, like, just the back door of a kind of old factory or something, a supply yeah. door, and comes across three young Chinese-American men who are probably about between 14 and 17 like, <laughs> yeah or or they're all 45 i'm not sure but just it's very weird um and these three chinese american men are dressed and talking purely in jive yeah um which is you know a particular dialect african-american dialect um that you find a lot in new york yeah um and you were kind of dissed if you didn't dress that way or talk that way um and these three Chinese American men talk purely in jive and keep taking the mick out of Leroy for not being like for basically not embracing black culture. Yeah. So but, but they're they're East Asian. Yeah. And he's mixed race. Yeah. Uh mixed mixed race African American. So it's it's weird, it's weird. And they keep taking the mick out of him for wearing Chinese clothes or yeah. Eastern uh and a sun hat. And they essentially everything they're saying is racist yeah but it's racist towards east asian people <laughs> yeah. yeah but and they're east asian <laughs> so you're like oh hang on is that okay is that subversive uh, yeah I, but then I don't know. and he and he but all he wants to know is he's like take me to your master let me know where the master yeah. is because and then i'm like oh maybe this is a kung fu like cafe or something why, but it why, isn't why did he go why did he think that the master was there? No, no idea okay because it's not a, it's not a kung fu it's not a, it's, it's not a martial arts place <laughs> it's like a warehouse it's just a warehouse and yeah. there are three guys who are presumably squatting there yeah who, who, who are like just drinking and smoking reefer and yeah. trying to play craps but they don't know the rules of craps and there's a kind of joke about them trying to culturally appropriate jive culture and also being racist towards him. And they keep saying, oh, stop being such a coolie. You're dressed like a coolie. And it, it's really confusing. Yeah. That happens. And and I and I don't know why. <laughs> but he, he he wants to meet the master. And, at, and, and, and he doesn't. At this point, could we pause and just reflect on what, what, what are the storylines that are happening now at this point in the film? Okay. We're about halfway through the film. Yeah. And um, because I remember pausing it to ask you something and uh, just after the fight scene in the, and it yeah. was 55 minutes of an hour. I was like, I cannot believe we're halfway through. It, What's happened? I don't know. Um, We've got a, Leroy. Leroy wants to find the master. Leroy the wisest man in the universe. There's, there's some mafia that want to get hold of uh, Laura Charles to play a music video on her show 
for the wife of the head gangster. So this is like the girlfriend of the head gangster who is kind of dressed like Cindy Lauper. Yeah, she kind is of very much dressed like Cindy Lauper. She's got a Cindy Lauper costume on. Um, and and they're feeding live. They're feeding raw meat to a fish. Yeah. Um, Laura Charles is doing some sort of competition. A da- there's a dance competition happening at this she's nightclub. She's auctioning off an evening with herself. Yeah. And, and Shonuff is trying to find Leroy. Leroy to have a fight. Like there's so many things going on, yeah. but they're all standalone strands. Yeah. That takes so long to in- like it's literally the last ten minutes of the film before any of those things converge together. Yeah. Um so Laura Charles <clears throat> is 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 being um hounded by this mafia because yeah. she won't play their music right um and so they get her in uh, and they you know show her the video and she says no and they say well you better say yes otherwise we'll do bad things and just as they start getting rough leroy turns up yeah and i don't know why or how no i don't know why he's dressed as a ninja yeah and he throws Chinese throwing stars at them. He takes a gangster's finger off. Yeah. And it's blood everywhere. And that's the first bit of blood we've had in yeah. the in the film yeah. so far. No, again, up, up until the sort of final fight scene, he, being Leroy, is absolutely the most violent and aggressive of any of them. And he's meant to be the one that's like peaceful and yeah. art of fighting without fighting. I don't think so. No. And like the worst anyone's done up to this point is put a child upside down in a bin. Yeah. And you've just cut someone's digit off. With a Chinese throwing star. And blood gushing everywhere. Yeah. But fine. Laura Charles is going, God, that's twice you saved me now. And he, and he um, puts, his, he dunks his, the, the, uh, the guy's head, head in the fish the tank. Shark tank. And he nearly gets eaten by whatever it is. We don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> She's got no idea what's in there. Dog. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's an automated spider. Oh, yeah. That's what it is. Giant spider. <laughs> If you don't get that reference, count yourself lucky. Yeah. Um. So that's that's what's happening there, and she so she starts to fancy him because you know there's nothing, that, you know, she she likes him even though he's this violent weirdo. I mean, yeah. he is weird in the sense that he's very socially awkward. But I yeah. thought maybe there's something like autism there, or or some kind of neurodiversity kind of storyline going on there. Cause yeah. He, he talks in broken English. I mean, I think you're just reading into the fact that once again he hadn't acted. He's never before. acted before. He like he's delivering everything like a robot, yeah. like very broken. I am so glad to be here. It's like a like an answer machine in the nineties. So I I think I think that might be because they are trying to um, sort of uh, ape these tropes of the uh, Bruce Poitation right. Okay. So I think it's probably a nod to. The way that Bruce Lee spoke in the films he did in, in, in English language. But yeah. So she's, you know, enjoying that. Um, and then she, he disappears, um, goes off to try and find the master again. But we don't follow that storyline. No. Um, Why would we? It's only the yeah. main storyline, as we've been told. Uh, he turns... Shonuff does find him. Sorry. There's a load of scenes in the film. I feel there's about six of these scenes in the film... In a in like a dojo that doesn't seem to be the dojo that he's tra- that he's training in with his sort of kids. mentor. Oh yeah, but yeah, is in no. some sort of dojo with loads of kids in I it. I think he's got his own dojo now. Right. 
I don't I don't know what all those scenes are for, other no. than to let us know why they all turn up at the end of the big fight scene. Yeah, but that's there's what it some is. sort of that I feel is meant to be an important storyline about him and this Asian American guy that seem to have some sort of strained friendship. And I don't know what that's about. And there's also this storyline about where he becomes sort of like, he starts flirting with the girlfriend of the mafia boss who turns up at this dojo at some point. I don't know what that's about. So I'm annoyed that you brought it up because I'm talking about it now. So it's not important. So he... He, he he has trained at the beginning as we saw him with his master in the yeah. boat house dojo yeah. yeah and then he gets sent off to find the wisest man in the universe which he hasn't found but he has found uh three chinese americans <clears throat> who are racist towards him for being yeah for for thinking he's chinese american even though he's mixed race african-american yeah. and that doesn't come to anything he saves laura charles a couple of times then he goes back to his dojo which we haven't seen before but it's no, as if it's we've a... been there a million times <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like a completely different gym and there are about 25 four-year-old children there <laughs> and and also another chinese american teenager of about 16 who's got a lot of attitude but not very good at kung fu yeah um he's kind of giving some lesson and then Shonuff turns up because he's yeah. been looking for him remember and he's like, oh, come on, you've got to fight me. Come on, why don't you fight me? And he yeah. won't fight him. So he makes him kiss his feet. Kiss and my converse. Kisses. Yeah, kiss my converse. Yeah. Kiss him. So he does. Um, and then loses the respect of everyone in the vicinity. Um, yeah. And his older brother, his younger brother. Yeah. He's eight, but 40 and he- runs a business. Heard about it somehow. Heard about it and said, come on, it's enough now. They've attacked our family and you you haven't, you know, you're a wimp. Yeah. Um, a limp wimp. You need to uh, get get vengeance. And then you think, oh, is this the point where he turns into vengeance? No. What he does then is go and have a chat with Laura Charles. Yeah. He flirts with him a lot and asks him to be her bodyguard um, and flirts him a lot. And yeah. he says, no, I can't because I, I've got some, I've got a mission. for I've got stuff to do. So he goes off to do something, but he doesn't do anything because yeah. he can't find the wisest man in the universe. Because it's a computer. Right. So he goes back to the the driving East Asians. Yeah. They eventually let him in because they think he might be able to teach them how to play craps. Yeah. Which obviously he can't, but he teaches them how to play hopscotch instead. (laughs) This film is so weird. I love it so much. He says, take me to the master. I've got this. And they recognise it, which is an important bit of continuity here and go, oh my goodness. Yeah. Tell you what wait outside here and they lock him out and then he gets annoyed um because he realizes yeah. they just locked him out and so he kicks the door down picks them up by the scruff of the neck and says take me to your master and they said no we lied there is no master it's just a fortune cookie machine yeah so he opens the door and it is a computer that makes fortune cookie signs he then goes back to his original master and says hey you sent me off looking for the wisest man in the world uh, who happens to live in new york yeah and he doesn't exist and then the master very cryptically gets a fortune cookie takes the fortune out says all the answers lie in here opens the fortune cookie says oh nothing's in here what do you mean and he's basically saying the answer lies in you yeah um it's you know it very long-winded awful thing now you might remember at the start of this podcast we did refer to it as uh, a martial arts musical and i'm aware that we've not mentioned uh, any musical elements yeah. yet there are a lot um we just kind of haven't mentioned them because they it's it's a it's a weird kind of musical in that the film has tried to shoehorn reasons why 
it, within the world of the film, people would be watching a music video. Yeah. But it's essentially about five music videos interspersed within the film. Um, One of which is The Rhythm of the Night, which I believe was like number one on the Billboard R&B charts yeah. for like 10 weeks. Like, it's the only track I recognise. Yeah, huge song. Um, and uh, and we have about reasons... two and two minutes of that. Yeah. At one point, it just becomes the video. It's of just that. that music video. Yeah. Um. There's another bit where it's the uh, sort of uh, uh, pop disco uh, uh, singer Charlene, who yeah. was quite big in the eighties. There's a there's a whole music video about her at one point. Like it's it's weird. And but... it, it, there's a vi- music video comes on in the pizza shop. Yeah. And then Shonuff gets annoyed by it <laughs> and says, "Who's playing this?" And he says, oh, I don't even own that. And he goes, shut up, bitch. And then, <laughs> and then kicks, kicks the music video machine. It's like a vending, it's like a fruit machine, but yeah. for music videos. Yeah. So yeah. we only hear about 30 seconds of it. Yeah. And yeah. then one of the characters hates it. Yeah. So what you, I don't know what the message is, no. this film about music, but music's um, around and it's happening. Apparently during the filming of this, uh, uh, Barry Gordy was on set a lot, like a lot more than a normal producer would be. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and apparently he'd always just turn up with like Diana Ross, Stevie Wonder, like all the Motown guys were just around on set. Must have been pretty cool. Yeah, but it's weird that they were happy to go and walk around on set, but none, like none of them were like, I want to be in this, no. like one of my music videos. Because like there's no one of the level that he was actually no. producing at that time. No, that's which really, is quite funny. that's really interesting. Yeah, very good point. They obviously looked at it and went, nah. So we, we've spent about two and a half minutes and we haven't mentioned the um, the gangsters who want to get, he, gangster, he wants to get his girlfriend into a music video and be a successful pop star. Yeah, so he, Over- they've, they've put like, it feels like they've put some sort of bounty out on. Well, with, yeah, because they've it said. It feels we, like there's suddenly a lot of people that are clearly not don't work for him directly because they're all dressed as different things i think they've auditioned him they're auditioning henchmen (laughs) because they're sitting at a desk (laughs) with papers and people are in a line people are in a line and then he says give me one reason why i should hire you for this job yeah you're right and this guy just barks like a dog yeah um he's he's dressed like a sort of bavarian visigoth from (laughs) like two thousand years ago (laughs) I don't understand why. Yeah, he just barks at them, and eventually yeah. they go, "Ah, oh, yeah, okay." And then he breaks the table. They go, "Oh, yeah, go on then. We'll, we'll hire you." It's, 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 a, it's yeah. like a it's like a pop stars the rivals audition sequence <laughs> for henchmen. So they audition all these henchmen so they can beat Leroy because Leroy keeps foiling their plans to intimidate Laura Charles in order to get a music video for his girlfriend. Over the course of this, right? Yeah, they then visit. Uh, uh, show enough and they offer him loads of money yeah. right because no one else can get the job done and then he says and it's about like a million quid in a, a really old tattered briefcase yeah Um, and he looks at the money he says keep your money just make sure that he gets the designated place at the designated time and I'll designate his ass to a whooping whoop, or something yeah Um, and so there's a bit of a storyline there in the meantime the girlfriend um has been getting a bit tired of all this mm-hmm. and she says what's going on here and the gangster boyfriend says oh I'll, I'll do anything for you i'm gonna i'm gonna get rid of that leroy character for you and she says oh i don't think you should kill for me and he goes mad like really yeah. suddenly full of rage yeah. and is no longer like this comic weird gangster he suddenly has how dare you say that no one treats me like 
that with that and, and lives. I'm like, okay, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking a bit of a dark turn here. And then she just gets fed up and uh, kind of quits. So she changes her, her costume, goes back into kind of civvies, and then goes find Leroy in his dojo, which is where he now lives. Yeah. And his family don't matter or care anymore. <laughs> no. Um But don't worry, the brother's coming back. Um, And she kind of flirts with him for a bit. Yeah. And then gets on well with... Says I need a bodyguard... No, that's Laura Charles. Oh right, I yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that, 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 no, because it's the same scene. It's the same, exactly scene, the same scene with two, scene diff- with two yeah. different female characters. Yeah. yeah. But she uh, flirts with him for a bit, and then his Chinese American friend uh, is kind of flirts with her a bit, um, and so we think there might be something happening between those two. Yeah. Uh, and then he go Leroy. That nothing comes of that. All right, nothing. He just says, "Look out for my." boyfriend gangster who's going to try and kill you he then goes back to Laura Charles's flat and says I just wanted to apologise for not speaking to you very you know for the way I spoke to you yeah. I wasn't angry at you I was angry at someone else he wasn't angry in the scene anyway so no, he was, yeah, I absolutely no drama there No. and she says oh great tell you what just give me five minutes alright stay here don't move we'll be back in five minutes yeah. so I'm thinking oh what's going to happen here then Yeah. Next, next shot is them absolutely fine. She's driving them down the freeway. <laughs> yeah. Nothing happens in that five minutes. <laughs> Nothing happens. So I have no idea what that was for. No, Why was there such a big deal about him yeah. waiting there for five minutes don't to then know. not show us? What and nothing happens. No yeah. consequences whatsoever. Just no. So they're in a car. Then he has some speech about how he's a virgin. Yeah. He pretends it's his friend. Um, and she says, yeah, I'll teach you some moves. Some moves. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll take your virginity, basically. Again, at this point, I'm thinking, oh, it's not good for kids this i'm like oh no it's not kids it's not. Not. <laughs> but i keep worrying about it yeah um what's wonderful is I, I forgot to mention a wonderful quote i've just seen in my notes the, the girlfriend pop star yeah she says to her gangster when she leaves him yeah you're nothing but a misguided midget with your heart set on ruling the world <laughs> What a great line. <laughs> that is a great line. Yeah. Um, also, we come back to his master, his first original master. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, we've cut up that scene a little bit. Yeah. And he, he's like, great, I found the answer. It's in myself, right? And he's like, yes, that's what I was trying to tell you. And then he says, sorry. I've got... If you excuse, if you, if you'll excuse me, my plane leaves shortly. Yeah. Also, he doesn't. It would be a much quicker film if he kind of said, "I've worked it out it's in myself." He goes, "I've tried to find the master. It's just a computer." And he goes, "Look in the one place you've not looked for yet." Oh, so he yeah. Goes, he makes it. He doesn't realise yet because that otherwise the end of the film wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sense yeah it's good anyway. point. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then yeah, quite right. The uh, his his sort of sensei or whatever you'd call it. Um, Goes, yes, sir. I've got to go catch a flight. And he's, like, oh, are you gonna? Are you are you off traveling, looking for wisdom, looking the world, traveling mm. the world for wisdom or something? And he goes, nah, go go visit my mum in Miami. <laughs> okay, so fine, right? It's a bit of a gag, which is funny. But then I'm also, like, why are you? Why have you got such broken English? If your mother <laughs> lives in Miami, you were born here. Where's the continuity in that? You're yeah. at least second generation. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, I don't understand that. For the sake of a gag, it just confused the integrity of that character for me, I'm afraid. Yeah. Okay. And that, that was it, was it? That was the moment. That was the, that was the yeah. moment. I was, yeah, it was, I was fine until then. Yeah. Yeah. And then the worst thing 
anyone ever does and the whole movie happens. <laughs> right? Leroy finally gets some kind of energy in Spunk Up to yeah. go and fight these bad guys, right? Yeah. So he goes back to his dojo, <laughs> which we're now very familiar with. And so his so East Asian weird. friends there, yeah. the young enthusiastic one who can't do any kung fu. Yeah. And he's like, let me go with you, Leroy. I'll help you, Bruce Leroy. Come on, I'll help you. Yeah. Um, and he goes, okay, you better go in that cupboard though and check, you know, select a weapon. Yeah. So he's like, okay, well, so he gets in the cupboard and then Leroy <laughs> locks him in the cupboard. Awful. With a Awful. padlock. Oh, terrible. He's dead. He says, sorry, but I just have to do this on my own. I'm like, no, no. You, you're a complete psychopath. And correct me if I'm wrong, he still turns up, doesn't he, at the fight at the end? Yeah, he gets out somehow. <laughs> well, they don't tell us no. how he did that. Okay, fine. If it happened, I can't remember. No, I I'm so exhausted already. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, Locke's kid in a cupboard. Yeah. Then we get into what I can only... Which every every good musical has, which is a dream sequence. <laughs> but it's not actually a dream sequence, but no, it feels it, like that and it's shot like that. I felt like I was having a dream sequence. I felt like I was having a seizure. <laughs> I mean... So our villain now lost his girlfriend. Oh, so yeah. pre- presumably doesn't have any... Like, she's, she's quit, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I, but he's bec- become obsessed about the nightclub TV show for some reason. He, he's got to get but, Laura Charles. But specifically, I felt like it was about, like, the capabilities of the cameras. Like, that's what I read it as. You, was he was... Yeah. He, what he loved was the technical aspects of this studio. I was like, what? that's a weird thing. So he gets what? there, and he ties up Laura Charles and... The younger brother of Leroy, yeah. who has been there to try and protect Laura Charles, because he's in love with Laura Charles. Yeah. He's annoyed that Leroy won't take the initiative and be a man kind of about it. Yeah. Um, inverted commas. But, and, but, but again, in a way of like, if I was still your age, this is what I would have done. My, my time's passed. It's like, it's, he's got the wisdom of like, yeah, like his uncle. Yeah, he says at one point, it's he's so like, oh, weird. he wouldn't want, he wouldn't know what to do with that body anyway. I'm like, you're <laughs> eight years old. <laughs> it's so weird. Really weird. So they tie it's them so both weird. up, and then he takes our villain takes control of like of the the VJing desk, right? Yeah. yeah. And I just wrote villain villain gets enchanted by the dance hall. <laughs> he just goes, you're right. He's so empowered. Like, yeah, he just so goes weird. mental yeah. over, like, growing madness. <laughs> over playing with the lights and playing a music video by Charlene. And he's like, who's her? Who's that? And his henchman goes, oh, Charlene goes, Charlene, fire! It, <laughs> I don't know why. It's, in, it's incredibly similar to <laughs> seeing you in a theatre during a tech. Oh, come on. It's it's like that. It's like I it's don't know the what same glint in your eye when you are allowed anywhere near a lighting rig or a soundboard. <laughs> I for those of you who don't know, I I um I dreamed of being a lighting designer. <laughs> I really love I love theatre technicians, everything they do. Um but I don't have any discernible technological talent <laughs> or artistic eye. So I ended up being in performance and writing. Um and so whenever I'm on a show, I do kind of just hang out with technicians going, oh, yeah, so um, we had a hard time even that Source 4, yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet that movie's a bit out of focus. 
yeah, should I, I help you out with that genie? Do you want me to, do you want me to stabilize the ladder for you? Like, I'm that guy. Yeah. Um, I do. Yeah. I love it. But I, 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 I don't real think similarities there. I, wouldn't, I didn't go into a murderous rage, well, which is what he does. Well. Um, so, Leroy turns up and he's going to free yeah. Laura Charles and his younger brother. Yeah. But all the henchmen, the, the new henchmen that the villain auditioned, remember? At yeah. Popstar's Arrivals, the henchmen. Yeah. They all turn up yeah. and Leroy's outnumbered. And there's a bit of a fight. And then gradually, <laughs> just yeah, I'm more, so glad really secretly, because it's, it's, it's almost subliminal. <laughs> what happens is every shot, there are like, because I, I didn't realise it at first. I yep. wrote down, who is everyone else fighting? Because yep. Leroy's fighting yep. and there are henchmen behind fighting. I'm like, well, the henchmen aren't fighting each other. Yep. And I looked closely, yep. and there were lots of tiny, like, three- or four-year-old guys <laughs> from the dojo, yes. right? The, yeah. So they must be students of Leroy's. Yeah. So presumably, the East Asian guy's broken out of the cupboard somehow, don't worry yep. about it, and he's brought the dojo to come and help fight yes. these henchmen. But it's weird that they didn't make that clear. Surely that, it should that have been there wasn't, like, a moment. The cavalry yeah. arrived. The cavalry, yeah, you're right, it was... It was like they, they didn't want us as the audience <laughs> to so notice them come in. So I'm so glad you spotted that as well because I was I think I was writing a note for like a and then looked up and there was like five more wrote another note looked up there was another five and I was like what, what's happening? And the other thing is that all the all the baddies yeah the henchmen that that they auditioned all have different costumes yeah yeah so one's dressed as like a GI. <laughs> But from like, but not like a GI. He's yeah. an African American uh, uh, actor dressed in like a 1940s British war uniform. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a green beret. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, where did you get that costume from? <laughs> and then, and then you've got another guy who's yeah, he's dressed like a Visigoth. Yeah, Bavarian Visigoth. <laughs> Bavarian Visigoth from, from about 50 BC. And then uh, there's, there's, there's the guy. Yeah, there, uh, there's a guy that's uh, wearing John Goodman's outfit from The Big Lebowski. I mean, not just he is it's John so Goodman. Specific. He is John Goodman yeah. from The Big Lebowski. Yeah. And then there's one guy left who was the weakest of all the henchmen who we don't really know much about. Yeah. But he, they they finally kind of knock him out, right? Yeah. And he kind of collapses on the floor and does a little last. Yeah. And then passes out. And then there's just this huge, like tent formed. Over where, his, <laughs> over where his genitals would be. Yeah. I'm just looking at it going, has he got an erection? <laughs> like, it's really weird. Really weird pants tent. As Larry David would say. Um, we should also mention that this whole fight, you'd think being a martial arts movie, would all be martial arts. It's not, it's dance. Yeah. It's a dance fight. It's a dance They're, like, fight. like break dance fighting. I was like, oh, it's weird that your main massive fight wouldn't be a martial arts fight in yeah, a martial arts movie. It's a really good point. But um, none of the martial arts in this film is very good. There's also weird bits during this fight where it seems like the main mafia boss guy has at some point pre-taped himself doing like direct-to-camera monologues. Oh, yeah. You and actually like, said out loud, you went, Look, when, when did, did you... he film that? <laughs> it's what? And why? But fine. Because he I think loves it was the live. cameras. I think it was live. But remember, the, the studio is shut. He's just yeah, come in and commandeered yeah. it all. Yeah. So you're like, right, the bad guys have been defeated. They're going to go and save Laura Charles 
and yeah. the brother. Well, but they don't. It's a weird bit after this fight that feels like it's the end. And it's not the end because Leroy walks out of the club and f- for some reason there's like this kind of big, tall, empty block of empty, like, yeah, like a shell of a building. Yeah. And I don't know why that's there or why suddenly it's just the bad guys be- are in there because they've never shown this It's like an apartment before. block, but... In order to create the silhouette, they've just built a small one and shot it from a low angle. Yeah, it's... And then they've silhouetted it behind, like, sugar paper. Yeah. Um, and they shout down, Oh, we've got Laura Charles. You'll yeah. never get away. So instead of going back to save his brother, right? Yeah. No, um, no he's not bothered. He just goes after Laura Charles into this nondescript sugar paper apartment block. I mean, you know, it's, in fairness, his little brother's been around a lot like he can handle himself and more importantly he can dance because that's yeah. how he gets out of the ropes yes, he does with a choreographed dance to yeah. disco town yeah it, it just he dances out of the ropes incredible finally leroy catches up to our villain yeah starts throwing nails at him yeah and then our villain wait which 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 villain took for the our, audience sorry, to clarify the main italian gangster yeah right because I still think that the main villain is meant to be shown off, like, in their heads of making this film. But they forgot to make that clear in, like, right. the editing of the film. Because he's third build. Um, <laughs> ju- ju- yeah, he's not, not though, is he? His name's not Julian Clary. It's, it's, it's Julius J. Carey. Julius Carey. Julian Clary. Um, his <laughs> uh, third build in the film, and the, his entrance at the beginning of the film makes you feel like Shonuff is the, the main the antagonist. antagonist. And also, the fight that's about to happen makes you feel like he should have been the antagonist. But he's a minor, minor point. He just point wrote too many storylines. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, no. Same guy who wrote this film yeah. is the main guy for Grey's Anatomy. Okay. Um, so they, it, it, there are points in Grey's Anatomy where a lot of the storylines seem like they're going somewhere and then get distracted right. by Patrick Dempsey being a hot doctor right. or someone else being attractive in underwear, but in a kind of very networky way. Yeah. Like it, it, it does flit all over the place. Okay. Um, it's just got a big, bigger budget than this film had <laughs> each episode. Um, yeah. So, sorry, he catches up with uh, our gangster. Forget about the show show enough. It's not important until until it becomes the only thing that's important. (laughs) (laughs) He's throwing nails at our Italian gangster. And for some reason, this is the point. This is where our Italian gangster's really had enough. And he decides to get out a gun. Yeah. I'm like, where's this been for the whole film? Surely you could have solved a lot of things a lot easier if you'd always had access to a gun. There's been no gun violence no, whatsoever. No, there's not been a single gun shown in the whole film. Really odd. It's like the opposite of Chekhov's it gun. It felt weird. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, why, why have you never shown it? If you're gonna, if it's all going to go off in Act 3, why didn't you tell us? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no foreboding no. Uh, tragedy here whatsoever. No, <laughs> oh, so this is happening. Um, and it looks like Leroy's not going to get very far. No. Um, I don't know what the gangster's going to do with Laura Charles right now, because the person who's trying to get famous has left him. <laughs> Laura don't... Charles is no longer in the studio because you've taken her yeah. out of it, which is where the broadcast was meant to happen and the dance competition yeah. was meant to happen. No, I've totally lost what his motivation I mean, is. Like, he's got absolutely no motivation, <laughs> no. has he? 
And then the main man makes his appearance. Yeah. All the other henchmen are dead and or, or tired. But again, it's a weird way of doing it because they signal his appearance by showing the henchman that says the exposition line in yeah. the beginning of the film beating but it's it's not like dun 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 he's, yeah. like, he's just part of the fight he's just there now he's just there because I looked at you I was like wait a minute that's shown off henchman yeah you did yeah. Like, yeah. what's he doing here yeah because he's then, not involved in this no at all there's been no connection and I still don't know how shown off knew about the mafia thing like because he's so separate to that he has no beef with anyone all no. he wants to do is fight Leroy because Leroy's the best person yeah and he wants to show that he can beat Leroy yeah. that's the whole that's yeah. his own MO for being alive yeah, yeah. so yeah so oh. show enough uh arrives and then it uh we can we can forget about everything else that's happened in the film because it just becomes about this fight now and and show enough looks like you know he's he's gonna get beaten by Leroy yeah and Leroy's got you know pretty much got him you know backed against the wall and then Shonoff gets the glow yeah what's the glow David the glow is what only um like top level martial artists uh have the ability to have which just makes you super strong it makes you super super strong and I mean is it a real thing Right. Is, is, it, is it a real thing? I mean, is it, is is it, it a real thing? In... Have you ever seen someone <laughs> g- glow orange around them? No, <laughs> it's no not... I didn't mean that. I meant, well, I, to be honest, I've never spent that long in a dojo. Okay. I, mean, I did taekwondo for three months, but that yeah. was in a school sports hall. Yeah, no one had like a radioactive ring no, around them. No. no one. No, no, I don't think it's real. No, I. I oh, don't... do you mean like the mythology of is it? Is the term glow, or you know, is it about? Is there a? Let us know oh, if know. you're at yeah. home and you're a martial artist. Um, then I'm really watch this film. You've got to, but also write in and tell us yeah. uh, if you've ever experienced the glow. Uh, spiritually speaking, yeah. What happens in the film is that uh, Shonoff actually starts to glow red. Yeah. And it's a bit like in the Phantom Menace, where you you. you have the the red lightsaber or yeah. any Star Wars. Films. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. he's glowing red because yeah, he's evil. Yeah, because he's the like. bad guy. Yeah. Is he evil? I don't know if he's done anything that evil. He put a kid in the bin. Fine. It doesn't matter what's happened before. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. We're in the fifth act. Yeah. Of Macbeth. All we care about <laughs> is he's gonna die. Um, he's the bad guy. His hands are glowing red, and he becomes super strong. Yeah. Um, and with his super strength. He beats up Leroy quite badly and then proceeds to drown him. Yes. Uh, Drown says, who's your master? Mm. Who's your master? And doing that has triggered the memory of, uh, yeah, his his mentor, his sensei, Leroy's that is, um, in kind of his mind. He's remembering what he said about one place you haven't looked, one place you haven't looked, and he realises it's in himself. Yeah, and so he finally gets up, and he's and he's gonna punch his lights out. Uh, show enough is, and he says, "Who's your master?" And he says, "I am." Mm. Um, and he, then finally he gets the glow. Um, I know there's a couple of uh people uh who listen to this podcast who uh like Callum and I are uh familiar with professional wrestling mm-hmm. and uh the WWE. There is a uh female wrestler called naomi yeah brilliant wrestler 
Yeah, One of the most underrated wrestlers in yeah. the whole wrestling. Yeah, I'd agree. And her catchphrase uh, on WWE is "Feel the glow." And uh, in an interview with her, she said it's from this film. It's from the Last Dragon. I find that amazing, especially yeah. because everyone thinks of wrestling and glow. You think of the glorious ladies of wrestling yeah. and the series that's gone with it. Yeah. And so to have a, a slogan that's feel the glow, I it think isn't actually about that. It's nothing it's to do with the, that. Yeah. But it's about dragon. this film. Yeah. But I think that's interesting on a number of levels because actually, can you think of any other film at this time or since really mm. that is one this diverse? Yeah. And not just diverse in terms of fair representation, but actually doesn't talk i mean yes there are some problematic things but it's very it's very it's not malicious and it's not political yeah it's about fantasy and escape but our main characters uh, and the area that we're talking you know set in harlem so you're talking about a lot of people of color here and i yeah. wonder how many other films and things like that would have inspired other people of color who went on to be athletes and performers of martial arts well, and wrestling well i mean i i know t uh, tamak uh, obviously played leroy still today tours this film around really um, yeah and he, he uh, reading an interview with him that he did a couple of years back and he said uh, that he was just on holiday in berlin and this cinema in independent cinema in berlin heard that he was there and Freeman went can we please do a showing of the last dragon and oh. can you come and uh, introduce it whilst you're here on holiday and stuff like that. so there's a huge cult following for this film out there. amazing Amazing. It's a and great I think thing to particularly in, in the African American community, Naomi herself, an African American wrestler, uh, was saying that exactly what, what, what you were saying. It's 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 a representation um, of uh, yeah, sort of the African American experience at that time in in, in film and and being feeling powerful and feeling validated. We can be superheroes and, too. Absolutely. And um, and I think so that's a really positive thing from this film. Yeah. Genuinely, it's something that was talked about a lot with Black Pan Black Panther. Yeah. Um, and the Marvel movies and who gets to be kind of the face of triumphing over evil yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I know it sounds like a stretch, but actually it is culturally yeah, important. And we should is. we should at least mention that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we should also mention the fact that despite all the glowing, <laughs> uh, physical, literal glowing. Yeah. This is the, the final fight scene, mm -hmm. right? It's the final bit. And this is always where, where uh, a... a Bruce Lee films and uh, films coming out of Hong Kong yeah. really excel. They save all the big guns and the storytelling through fighting is always yeah. great, much like you get in a, in a wrestling match. Or, um, But yeah, stunt coordination and fight direction it is all about the last act, right? This is the worst fight scene in the <laughs> whole film. And I don't know why that is. It's just kind of bad luck. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Frank Ferreira um, is the stunt coordinator on this. Yeah. Um, he, but he also he's done massive films Blade 1 and oh, 2 yeah. um, as a stunt man on loads of films but stunt coordinator in quite a few mm. so I don't know what was going on here but it's very odd um, except you, you were quite distracted by what looks like a very real black eye starting to develop yeah. on the show enough yeah it does it doesn't like I mean given the, the sort of level of what you'd expect mm. makeup to look like in this film I can't I can't believe it, they would have been able to get it to look that realistic. I think that was a genuine, genuine yeah. black eye. Genuine black eye, and they went, you know, keep keep rolling. Um, now, what has been happening is there's been lots of music growing and playing um, yeah. uh, throughout this fight scene, and then uh, Shonuff's defeated on mm. the ground, does his last gasp. <gasps> <gasps> no erection this time, so that's great. Um, 
and the music then fades back and yep. so it sounds like it's playing out of a stereo in this empty warehouse yep. i'm like i like it when films do that when yeah. you know when the music playing in the real world becomes yeah, yeah, the music yeah. in the film but this is the opposite of that and to what end because who <laughs> was playing who's been listening to the radio <laughs> during this during fight this scene. fight like yeah. who's put that song on um very weird because it's an abandoned place in harlem yeah um but then we have a little twist where yes. our gangster, our Italian gangster man. Yeah. Remember, what did he have, David? He had a gun. He had a gun. And he turns around and what does he yeah. do? He shoots Leroy in the face. But it's okay because he catches the bullet. In his it's feet. a bullet catch. Which is a callback to a really unimportant line in the cinema right at the beginning of the film where yeah. this little kid says to Shona, he can catch uh, bullets in his teeth. And then it's and it's never mentioned again for the rest of the film. So yeah. everyone has forgotten that inconsequential line that a small child said that he just went, oh, well, it's just a kid saying nonsense. But also it is a kid saying nonsense because at that point, Leroy hasn't felt the glow. Yeah. So he can't catch a bullet because he hasn't <laughs> yeah, become a, a good, magic that's man That's a good yet. point. That's He's not become a mutant, like, X-Man. Yeah. So he... Yeah, that is a good point. Kind of ruins it. If, yeah. he, can, if he can catch a bullet without the glow, then I don't know why he... <laughs> I don't know why he's worried about trying to get it. Um, so that happens. Um, and then there was something that was really interesting is that over the course of the fight, yeah. um, I n- noticed something about the way you looked and you said, and you noticed this too throughout the film. Yeah. At different points in the film, yeah. Leroy cha- Bruce Leroy uh, Takeham changes quite a lot. What yeah. is it about him? <laughs> oh, it's his hair. He has... Right. He has- substantially different length hair at different points in the film what the, one of the scenes where he goes back to the three station guys in the warehouse uh d- delivering pizza um i genuinely for a minute thought it was a different actor because it was such different hair and i was like yeah. you wouldn't just have different hair for one scene but no they did like yeah it's it's so weird really odd <laughs> really um, really weird continuity thing but he catches the bullet and then ties up the gangster man and hoists him up. This is when it becomes Bugsy Malone again. Yeah. Where with bad people, what do you do? You tie them up and humiliate them and they're yeah. shouting, I'll get you! And he's bargaining with him and saying, I'll, oh, I'll, no, I'll take it on the road. And then two massive New York white birdie policemen turn up and yeah. see all this carnage Yeah. and immediately uh, go and arrest the only white man in the warehouse, yeah. which I think is really nice and encouraging. Yeah. But if yeah. this was today... Yeah, Leroy and Shonoff uh, would all be dead. Yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone's dead. Yeah. Um, so that's nice though it, that that doesn't happen. Um, and the gangster get arrested. Laura Charles um kind of is free now uh, and turns up and she's been tracked down by her producer and her wardrobe man. <laughs> yeah. Who yeah. Were, who were like Laura, you're late. We've got to be on the show. And yeah. the wardrobe's like, oh, how can I do this? You're a mess. So they're trying to get her back to the studio. And then there's a cut. <laughs> and then we're actually at the yeah, studio. Right, yeah, we're at the studio. It's, I'm assuming, the dance competition. Right. Everyone's dressed in white. I don't know how they all got that memo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's full of, of kids and adults, as nightclubs are. But who's um, died? What are they wearing white for? I don't know. Isn't that like a like the opposite of a funeral thing? Like you wear... what? What like a like a wedding? <laughs> well, it's not the opposite of a funeral, isn't it? Well, it will be a christening. Oh yeah, it's like somewhere on the scale of 
official celebrations. <laughs> they're like, how's it going? Like wedding, christening, bar mitzvah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, um, pancake day. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, you include pancake day. Yeah, they're all wearing white. And then I'm thinking, how are they going to end this? Yeah. And then they do. And it's the best <laughs> ever, e- e- best ever ending in the history it's, of ending. It's the best ending to any film. So, uh, Bruce Leroy walks around. the. Everyone's dancing for a bit. Bruce Leroy walks around the corner into shot. He's dressed in, a, a, he's got a white blazer on. He's somehow bought a bouquet of flowers in between yeah. the, the carnage happening. But again, it's not. Cl- it, it feels from the urgency of the wardrobe mistress and the manager that it's it's now. Yeah. So I don't know when he's got these flowers. But anyway, he's got a bouquet of flowers for uh, uh, for um, Laura. And Laura Charles walks down the staircase, gets about midway through, freeze frame, end of the film. And it's just, 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 just it's just like Barry Gordy going, and that's it. We've run out of money. Right, gotta stop there. <laughs> yeah. Stop there. Stop the film. Freeze frame. What? And kind of little kind of the camera moves over the you know like the opening of Notting Hill <laughs> this film ends the way that Notting Hill opens but instead of she it's just a weird kind yeah. of 80s Motown fusion yeah. song um, yeah and it ends and there's a nice shot of the younger brother being happy for his older brother I don't understand why because he's meant to be in love with Laura yeah. and doesn't want his brother to get with him but like, he's over yeah. that now yeah well oh. he's lived his life yeah, I mean, but he is brilliant. His yeah. younger brother is brilliant. Um, sadly, the actor not with us anymore. No, very sad. Uh, passed away at the age of forty-one. Um, and it, it's quite unusual circumstances. Uh, his cousin um claims that essentially what happened was he was there was an altercation. He was actually shot. I think basically by a friend of his. Uh, five times. Oh God. Uh, and then he passed away in his sleep a year later. And the cousin claims that it's a it's a malpractice issue that when they stitched him up they didn't do it properly yeah. and it caused kind of long term uh, organ damage. Um, so really sad. Yeah, only forty one. Um, and as we said, a, a fantastic actor. He's the younger brother of one of the members of the Sugar Hill Gang, of course, Is famous he really? for rappers delight. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, no, so iconic, yeah, actually. and yeah, genuinely, this small child was the best actor in the whole film. So followed well by Vanity, who'd never acted before. Yeah, but then also not acting before doesn't doesn't make that it's not often that's a good thing isn't it when you go, can you believe that was their first thing yeah. like i absolutely can believe this was taken's first thing yeah. he's yeah. dreadful but also but the thing is about vanity which i think i said to you at some point during the film is it is weird because she is no one else is acting on her level of naturalism yeah so it really feels chill. like she's low stakes about everything like yeah. she's just mildly irritated that she's being followed by these gangsters and yeah. obviously everyone else is like life and death quest for knowledge who's the master and it's all you know fantasy and, and very very high stakes and she's just kind of wandering around going oh like like in a in a completely different film for yeah. most of it which is yeah I it's a, it's, I said to you about half of the film I said it's kind of like Karate Kid meets Rocky yeah um, and and then you said well yeah but it's nothing to do with any of those films <laughs> it's like well I don't know there was this 1980s Karate Kid's very kind of yeah. 80s in its feel and vibe um, and Kung Fu was massive it just was huge, huge. yeah nunchucks in every toy shop yeah yeah um and and so there was that going on there's also this kind of the underdog uh, you know uh, little montages with kind of 80s music and yeah there's that kind of vibe to it that you can so you can totally see why they made the film the way they did yeah. on that level 
why they made it for children, but also not <laughs> and with children <laughs> and starring children, but not able to be seen by children because of various slurs, n-word, bit of swearing, references to sex, references to loss of virginity, weird inverted subverted racism my favorite note of all my notes is just it's weird there are so many kids around i mean it's just (laughs) always there are all in every scene there are already too many kids around (laughs) it's so strange i don't know what that's about they all secretly appear in that fight scene that's weird i mean i mean yeah i at the end of you said at the beginning that you loved it yeah. That you really enjoyed it. You're yeah. standing by that. Yeah, it's it is it it's mad and it is there are this I do I, I said charming. There is something charming about just the craziness of it. Yeah. Um and And there's a joy. There's a joy yeah. in happiness. And I and I actually agree with you, I think. Yeah, it's not charming be- because it's naff. It's charming because it's hopeful and joyful yeah. uh, alongside its naffness. And I think it obviously absolutely knows what it is. I don't think you make a mm. film where there's a scene where a, a child dances out of uh, <laughs> yeah. ropes uh, that he's being tied up with and and that not be a bit self-aware. Like, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's laughing at itself as well. Um, I don't... Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's it's in that kind of you know, Troll Two, uh, <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night, all these the like room. so yeah, the room, these so bad they're good films. I think it's uh, it's th- there are there are a lot of these eighties films that are just crazy, like something like um uh, uh another kind of cult film from that uh sort of around that mid eighties period, from called a. Uh, buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension i think it is young oh jeff goldblum um and and that's it's the sci-fi film and it's crazy uh in a in in a similar way to that um and obviously very much that those kung fu films were loads of tongue-in-cheek yeah. elements um as they're often are with a lot of asian cinema they're really good at that blend of of almost slapstick comedy and and uh and action mm-hmm. um so yeah i i i i really enjoyed it would I sit down and watch it again? Probably not. But, uh, I'm glad I've seen it. Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I've seen it. So thank you, Adam. Um, thank you very much. much um, and yeah, uh, so that uh, brings us to a close once more. It does indeed. Um, um, thank you for listening to an hour and a half of dissection of one of the weirdest films absolutely. I've ever seen in my life. And I would say if you haven't seen it, it is worth checking out. It yeah. is worth checking get out. Get some popcorn, get a few beers on. Mad, yeah. Yeah, um, and certainly in these times, it's probably the most escapist film you could possibly find. You could put it on your CV. Yeah, uh. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, we are next week uh, looking at uh, Crime Traveler. Which Crime I'm Traveler, yes. Very excited about because I loved this show uh, as a kid in the nineties. So, and I don't think I've seen it since it first aired. And so, once again, I know nothing about it at all. No. So I'll be coming out with fresh eyes. Really exciting. Um, so yeah join us uh next week for that uh, and we will of course uh as always on monday have another episode of podcast and macabre our jonathan creek podcast yes tune in for the miracle well. in crooked lane absolutely so uh without further ado uh if you want to get in touch with us you know where to go we are on twitter at macabre podcaster you can get in touch with us via email at podcast macabre at gmail.com 
hit us up on facebook fb.me forward slash podcaster macabre and of course listen to us uh like share and subscribe on itunes uh on spotify on google play on wherever you get your podcasts uh for now i have been david chopland and i've been callum hughes and this has been any requests see you later bye